here's the title of the message. Boldly go where you've never been before. Have I got some Trekkies in the house? Yeah, 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 Trekkies. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah, it was a very famous, famous statement to that show, which I didn't realize was only on for like three seasons. I didn't know that. And then the movies made it famous and everything. And uh, I love uh, Captain Kirk, but my favorite was Spock. My favorite was Spock. Anyway, uh, from Lemonster, I think, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, amen. All good things come from New England. Um, <laughs> they had to say, boldly go where no man's gone before. Well, you're going to boldly go. This is what we want you to do in this series. Boldly go where you've never been before. And if you think about it, <laughs> you got no choice about going where you've never been before. You're going to go where you've never been before. You don't even have to actually move anywhere to go where you've never been before. I always get a kick out of people who go away. They move away. They come back. They're like, it's so different. Yes. That's because life moves even if people don't physically or geographically move. Now, I want you to think about this. You are moving on the planet. You're spinning around at, I think, 35,000 miles per hour. 35,000 miles per hour. You're spinning around the globe right now or riding the globe. And you're traveling through space at 10,000, I think, or, or, or even higher. 10,000 miles per hour. You're moving right now. Like, you're going somewhere. But think about what's really happening. Time is moving. That's what the spinning around the sun is really all about. We're, we're going on a time travel adventure. And you're going to go in time where you've never been before. Some of you are in your teens and your 20s are coming. Some of you are in your 20s, your 30s are coming. Some of you are in your 30s, your 40s are coming. Some of you are in your 60s, your 70s are coming. Some of you are in your 90s and Jesus is coming. Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better get right now. Like, you better get that solved. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're moving. You're going to go where you've never been before, and you've got no choice in the matter. And if we're all honest here today, we'd all be able to say that there are seasons in our life where we look at the road ahead and we're scared. We're nervous. Lord, Lord, are you in this? Lord, are you with me? Lord, is this going to make everything fall apart? Or am I going to get where I want to go? Am I going to survive this? And, and I think that the last 12, uh, 24 months has kind of put a lot of pressure on people in a way that's caused more anxiety, more, more fear about the future. Because listen, think about where we were. It is January 30th, 2022. Think about where we were January 30th, 2020. Like, COVID was not a thing. We were just making a joke about it. Like That's another, another one of those scare tactics, right? Think about, I was, I was thinking about how the worst thing that happened up to that point in 2020 was Kobe Bryant and his daughter crashed in a helicopter accident. We thought that was going to be the worst thing in 2020. Man, were we wrong. And I think about how, how we look at another year and we think, man, what could go wrong this year? And sometimes we let what could happen cause us to pause and fear in the present. Last week, we talked about the past. We talked about the fact that, that God restores our soul. He brings us back from the brink. He brings us back to righteousness even when we feel like we blew it. He's the good shepherd who restores our soul so that we can get over our past mistakes and our sin and the shame of all those sins and embrace the present in God's goodness today. His mercies are new when? Every morning. Praise God for that, right? 
But today we're talking not about the past, we're talking about the future. Because as much as some of you have been paused by your past, some of you could be paralyzed by your future. You got a kid going into college that can paralyze you. I'll never forget that, that experience. <laughs> Dropping my kid, my firstborn off for college. That was, a, that was a tight day in the heart, amen? So some of you got, you know, you got a surgery coming up or, or you got a wedding coming up or you've got a baby on the way and you're just thinking about all that could possibly go wrong because there's no stopping the fact that we're moving through life. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. <laughs> yeah, we love note takers in this church. Note takers are definitely going to heaven. <laughs> Write it down. Travel can be, travel can bring trouble. Somebody say trouble. So my wife and I are really into this show. How many Yellowstone fans are in the house? That's like the best show ever, isn't it? I'm ashamed to say that from the pulpit, but it is a good show. Anyway, they got another show out of the prequel of that show. It's called 1883, and I love Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Big, big fans of them. Anyway, they, um, they're traveling. The, the, the premise of the show is they're traveling from Texas to Oregon, but in 1883. And I'll tell you, this show is doing a wonder in my mind because I'm thinking about all the modern conveniences that we enjoy. Yeah. You, you think about a travel from Flor Fort Worth to Oregon today, it's a, it's a plane ride, it's a car drive. It might be long, but you'll get there. And they're going through wilderness and bandits are attacking them and snakes are killing them and, and they got to watch out for each other because they're hating on each other. It's a fantastic show, honestly. And I think it's mostly clean, so uh, I can encourage you to watch it from the pulpit. But nonetheless, they got to this one episode where the whole episode, the whole episode was about them crossing one river. Yep. One river. Like, that's the whole episode. And you think about it, how can you make a whole show out of crossing a river? We'll bring it back to 1883. That's how. And they, were, they had to dump all their stuff off because they were too heavy. And then they had to walk through and ride the horses through and pull the carriages through the waters. And uh, on top of which, the waters kind of roared up, on, drowned a few of their kids. It was heartbreaking. Uh, a couple of horses were lost. Stuff was lost. And, and I remember I was watching it with Cheryl, and I uttered something that I had never said before in my life. I turned to her and I said, honey, I'm so glad for bridges. <laughs> I've never said those words, ever. Who's thankful for a bridge? We always like, yeah, it's a bridge. Man, a bridge gets you going places, amen? But, but think about how trouble can come because of travel. And this psalm addresses that. This psalm addresses that. And listen, God's people travel, and there's trouble ahead. I, I, can't, I can't sugarcoat your life. I can't tell you it's all going to be roses. I can't tell you it's going to be great. I can't promise you. Trouble is ahead. Amen. So why would you say that? Because our good shepherd said it. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen. So there's good news that the trouble doesn't get the final testimony. Amen, somebody. Amen. He's got victory over whatever trouble is coming, but you're going to face it. Uh, uh, Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Here's what he says about his travels going ahead. He says, I know I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I can't tell you what's going to happen, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Yikes. Like, that kind of, like, puts into context how we talk about how the Holy Spirit led me, right? 
Holy Spirit led me over here. Those, yeah, but look what it says here about Paul's life. The Holy Spirit led him through persecutions, imprisonment, trouble. I can't stop the trouble. You can't stop the trouble ahead. But here's the deal. Your good shepherd can give you a good confidence that no matter the trouble, he will take you through. And that's what I want to leave you with. Message theme, write this down. I don't always know where I'm going, but my shepherd knows the way. Amen. I don't always know where I'm going, but my shepherd knows the way. Key, key passage we're talking about in this, in this weekend is verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you with me. You're right in your staff. They comfort me. And then it says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So we're going to talk about those words from Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5. Um, the trouble ahead. Three things you got to have protection from. By the way, all my points begin with the letter P. So in the words of Elmo, this message is brought to you by the letter P. Okay. <laughs> three, three things you need protection from. Number one, principalities and powers. That's Satan. That's the demons of hell. That's the demonic spirits that are all around. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe in demons, then you don't have a clue what's going on in our world right now. A lot of this stuff, man, and I'll say it, I'm brave, I don't care. A lot of this stuff about gender dysphoria, this is demonic stuff. And I feel so bad for these people. I'm not, I don't want to condemn them, I want to help them through the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have bought into the voice of the evil one, who is a liar, Jesus says, from the beginning. And all this confusion about gender and all and, and marriage and what makes a family and all I mean I'll tell you the devil has pulled the wool over this culture yeah. over this culture's eye but there's principalities there's powers look you got to understand not everything is a demon but a lot of things are Amen. like if you get a flat tire on the way to work it's just a flat tire okay <laughs> don't go casting out the demon of flat tires all right you probably just ran over somebody's nail or something all right okay but but I'm talking about you know when you face something that just gets up in here right in the spiritual realm there it's an outward problem but it's in the spirit that you're feeling it that could be demons not in you as a born-again Christian I don't believe in that but I do believe that he can oppress you and he can come over you and he can speak to you and you need to rise up in the name of Jesus and say enough devil I know my father I know my brother Jesus and in his name I rebuke you in Jesus name Amen. he's got no power over you Christian Ephesians 6 though tells us plainly we do wrestle against principalities, powers are in the dark places, in the heavenly realm. And if you are ignorant of the spiritual wrestling around you, you are a sitting duck for it to destroy you. You got to wake up in the morning and say, I bet there's a devil waiting to get me today. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to take authority and walk in the victory of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what Satan hates? He hates the blood of Jesus because he knows the blood of Jesus has set you free from his grip on your life. So you need to claim that blood and plead that blood over your life, over your kid's life, over your family, over your home. Number two, the, third, the second thing we need protection from is the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is what the devil wants it to be. So the scripture says in Ephesians that they follow the course of this world. You gotta understand there's a course to this world. There's a course. Isn't it funny how everybody just seems to be flowing in the same stream? And they could be in New York City, and they could be in Seattle, Washington, and they can be in Dallas, Texas, and they're all doing the same thing. Like, no, I always get a kick out of unsafe people who wanna claim originality. There's no originality. You're all doing the same stupid stuff. 
You're all smoking weed, you're all sleeping with everybody you want to sleep with, and you're all getting drunk on the weekends, and you're all miserable on Sunday and Monday. Like, that is not originality. You are not being a rebel, you are being a dead fish swimming downstream. That's where dead fish swim, right? You want to be a rebel? Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be an outcast? Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love that Alice Cooper said that. How many remember Alice Cooper? He was my, he was my wife's favorite rocker. And I don't know how to feel about that. But nonetheless, he's a, he's a Christian. And he says, you know, getting drunk, destroying your hotel room, that's just normal. That's not rebellious. If you want to be rebellious, serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knew that Alice Cooper would have more sense than most preachers today? There's a pattern to this world. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Christian, you're going to be an outcast. You're going to be hated. You're going to be vilified. You're going to be looked down on. You're going to be thought on the wrong side of history. They're going to call you bigots and phobes and all kinds of names. Why? Because you don't get along with what they're getting on. And that's okay. I used to sing a song in Sunday school. I still sing it because I need to remind myself, though none go with me, still I will follow. How many remember that good old song? Though none go, I'm, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, the world behind me, the cross before me, Jesus is leading me, and the best is yet to come. And I gotta regret, I gotta reject this nonsense, this culture, this, the, the, the lies of our age. And number three, this is, the, this is the hardest one to fight. This is one that's all about you, the passions of the flesh. So you got the principalities in the spiritual realm. you got the pattern of the world in the physical realm. And then you got the passions of the flesh in the internal realm. Watch out for the passions of the flesh. Because the scripture says in 1 Peter 2.11, it says that it's making war against your soul. Notice that he says, uh, hey, uh, you got to fight against those non-Christians over there because they're making war on your soul. No, no, no. They're just following the pattern of this world. You reject that. You don't follow that. But they really, you know, they're going to mock you. But that's not who you fight. you got to fight what's going on inside. What Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? There is a war in your soul. And this is what keeps you from doing the good things that you want to do and makes you do the things that you don't want to do. That's why we're going to have grace in the church, grace in the church, because every person you ever come eye to eye with in the church, in the church, is fighting an internal battle. Can you just tap your neighbor and say, I got you? Just tap your neighbor. I got you. Yeah, husbands and wives, let the healing begin right here. Husbands and wives. We're all fighting a battle. We're all facing an enemy. And we all have a future that's going to bring trouble and we need to know that the Lord's got us. Four things that the Lord does to empower us to be bold, and then we're done. Are you ready? We can boldly travel, number one, write this down, because the Lord is ever present. Present. And, and again, all the words are P. So the Lord is ever, say it, present. present. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear over for you. Somebody say you. You. you are with, now I ask you to say words on purpose. And this is why. Circle you if you're taking paper notes or in your Bible because I want you to note something. And all the grammarians, and I'm a grammarian, and it's funny because I was never a grammarian in high school. Until I got this job, I had to become a grammarian. <laughs> I had to understand language. Language matters. Words matter. Pronouns matter. Now look at what happens here in, in, in Psalm 23. The first three verses, the psalmist is talking about the Lord to us. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, third person. 
He makes me lie down. He leads me beside. He restores my soul. He leads me. Now look what happens when the trouble comes. This is so good. When he gets to the trouble, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He doesn't say, for he is with me. He says, for you are with me. That's a powerful moment because what he's saying is, is that there's a time to tell others what God has done for you, and then there's a time to talk to God who's talking to you. And when is that? When do you need to start turning away from other people and turning to God and saying, you, you got me, when trouble comes. When trouble comes. So let me just back up in the message. When the devil comes, talk to your father. When the pattern of the world tries to press you in, talk to your father. And when the passions inside of you get the best of you and you think, I can't go back to church. I can't talk to God right now. I'm too evil. I've made a big mess of my life. I'm not worthy. Ladies and gentlemen, read yourself the story of the prodigal son in the midst of his dirt and pig slime all over his body. He went back to the father and he couldn't even get out all of his speech. And the father ran to him and wrapped his arms around him and said, put the robe on him and the finger, a ring on his finger and slaughter the calf. Let's party and celebrate because my son son has come home. When you have messed it up, turn your face to heaven and tell the Father and he'll welcome you back every single time. He's going to bring you back. Even though I, I just, I love the fact that the psalmist starts talking to God in the valley. See, this is the problem with a lot of Christians. You talk to everybody but God. You talk to your sister, you're going through a hard time in your marriage and you talk to your sister who's been divorced three times. What are you thinking? Right? You, you're getting through a financial difficulty, and you're going to listen to Jim Cramer on Mad Money. Like, are you serious? There's a video out. You should look it up on Jim Cramer talking about Lehman Brothers like, literally two weeks before they collapsed and saying, I believe in Lehman, and I think y'all should put your money in Lehman Brothers. Two weeks later, the whole place collapsed, and the 2008 struggle began. <laughs> Who are you going to turn and face when you're in the dark place? This is the moment of turn to God. I love Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in where? In trouble. Now, now if you got your paper notes out, circle very. Because he doesn't say, you know, in trouble, God is there. No, no, no. He says God is a very present. I want you to know he's really there. He's really aware of, I mean, he really makes himself present in your life in the trouble. But you got to face him. To get it, you got to look at him. You are with me, Lord. I feel all this anxiety. I feel all these things coming against me. I'm walking through this season. But you are still there. He's a very present help in trouble. Some of you could get up here and tell this story of your life better than I could. He got you through so many situations. The prayers got you through the peace of the Lord got you through. People couldn't understand it, but God gave it. And it was a peace that the world cannot understand and cannot receive because we only receive it through Jesus. Yeah. Number two, we can boldly travel because the Lord is packing heat. <laughs> I had to make it a P word. <laughs> what I'm talking about is the Lord's got some weapons. He's got some weapons. Your rod and what? Your staff. They comfort me. 
Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Lord's packing heat. Now, again, if you don't have the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, make sure you purchase that book. Or if you're watching online, you got to get that downloaded onto your Kindle device or whatever you were doing there. But it's a powerful truth about the rod. Here's what, here's what Philip Keller, the author of that book, says about the rod of the shepherds in the Middle East. He says, the rod, here we go, was an extension of the owner's right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. And it was, furthermore, the instrument he used to discipline and correct any wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. So there's, there's a boatload of truth right there to what the rod of the Lord, our shepherd, does. Three things, letter A in your notes. The rod was a tool of examination. And Philip Keller talks about this. You take the rod, and, and the rod actually was a measuring device. So you want to know if you had a healthy flock, you had to measure them. Are they the rod's length? So they would pass under the rod. In fact, there's a verse from Ezekiel 37. It says, I will make you pass under the rod. But if you read it in the New Living Translation, same verse, it says this, I will examine you carefully. But the Lord is saying, my rod is the fact that I'm always watching you. I'm looking over your life. And I'm making sure that there are things in your life that are starting to grow, that are starting to produce that are starting to get thicker. He wants your spiritual muscles stronger, church. He wants you stronger in 2022 than you were in 2021. Can I get a good amen right there? Amen. You know, we, we, we are suffering from a lack of spiritual strength in the church. We, we are suffering from a spiritual lack of strength because I see the church starting to act just like the world. And that just, that just proves that we need to get our muscles in shape, our spiritual muscles. That's why we're fasting and praying this week. Because it's not about our flesh, it's about our spirit. And I'll tell you something, here's a good confession from your pastor. And I've done this every year in our church for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years, fasting and prayer. And i got to be honest with you, this year, my flesh does not want to participate. It's the first year I'm like, I don't want to do it. And you know what? My spirit in the Lord is telling me, you need it now more than ever. If you don't feel like fasting, that's when you need to do it the most. Because that's just your flesh saying, I want to be in charge. You don't need to listen to God. I I'll take care of you. No, 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 no. I need to starve my flesh so that I can feed my spirit. And everybody, the old preacher said, everybody's got two dogs in them. Everybody's got two dogs in them. And they're fighting. One's a good dog, one's a bad dog. And they're always fighting. Which one's going to win? You know which one's going to win? The one you feed. The one you starve loses. And I, I, I think about sometimes some of the shows we watch, some of the music we listen to, some of the friends and the conversations we have, and all they do is they feed that bad dog. And we need to starve that dog out and feed the dog of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to refer to the Holy Ghost as a dog. He's a person. But nonetheless, right? We need to feed the spirit so that, we so that we get strong. And the Lord is examining us. Letter B in your notes there. The, Lord, the, the rod was a tool of correction. So he says it there that there's wandering sheep. And, and Philip Keller talks about how uh, sometimes you got to just tap the sheep on the side. Anybody ever get a tap from God? 
He's just starting to wander over here. Let me see what's over here. Bam! Oh, okay, that's what's over there. All right, never mind, right? And sometimes the correction is the guilt that you feel, the, the, the disaster that you make. Sometimes the correction is the check in your spirit. Sometimes the correction is the preacher from the pulpit. Yep. Hey, ooh, 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 quiet right there. You're quiet. <laughs> scared right there. Sometimes the preacher says something. You say, I don't like that. You might need it. That's the correction of the Lord. Sometimes the correction is God's word. Sometimes the correction is the brother in Christ who cares about you or sister in Christ who cares about you enough to say, listen, you are walking in a dangerous territory here. And that's how the Lord will correct you and bring you back and put you back on the path. Let her see the rod was a mark of God's authority. And so that talks about his power. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The word scepter is the same word for rod in the Hebrew. So God gives the authority of his power to his people. Come on Wednesday night, down here, Tuesday night up there, and you're gonna, we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost because I believe that the Holy Ghost wants to come upon you so that you can live in God's power and not your own. Amen. And I, I think that this is how we get the power, the, the courage, the boldness back. It's not in our strength. No, no, no. Paul says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. He says, I'll boldly, I will brag about my weakness. I'll proclaim my weakness. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong in Jesus' name. I got no problem telling you about my problems. I got no problem telling you about my issues. I got no problem telling you that I don't want to fast this week, and it's all going against the grain right now in my spirit. Why? Because I know that when I don't want to do it, the Holy Spirit will rise up and help me do it. Sometimes the best thing you can do in a battle is just say, God, I give up. I can't do it. I can't fix this marriage. I can't change this person. I can't, I can't convince that boss to do this. I can't change my situation. But you can. So I give this to you now, Lord. And in the power of the Holy Ghost, do what you want to do in me. Amen? And then this, the rod of God is the word of God, really. This is, his, this is his rod. It guides you. It comforts you. But sometimes it corrects you. And I want to say, you got to get under this word. Here's why. Write this down. When you get under God's word, you get over Satan's lies. Once you see this picture right here, that the word of God, the word of God is over me. you got to keep this over you. In other words, this is where I, this is what I listen to. All right? Some of you going to college or you're in college, and I know your philosophy professor is going to tell you, I'm a moron, and I'm dumb, and all this stuff is nonsense, and we disproved the existence of God years ago, and all that stuff's fairy tales, and I know there's a guy out there writing a book about the flying spaghetti monster. I've read the books, man. I know about the arguments. Let me tell you something. I've explored them for you. They're all foolishness. The scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, and you look over the course of human history, and those that changed the world for good were people who were born again, blood-bought saints who loved Jesus and weren't afraid to do what he wanted even when the culture around them said don't do it it was blood-bought christians that abolished slavery in england in the 1700s it was a blood-bought christian who preached uh free at last free at last thank god almighty i'm free at last was he perfect no but he believed in jesus christ and i'm telling you look over the course of human history is the people who got under god's word who made an impact in their world so this is uh, what Philip Keller says about the word right, uh, in, in, in the book. He says, there is no substitute for the scriptures in coping for the complexities of our social order. No substitute. I don't know about you, but it's more confusing now than ever before. Who do you listen to? Who do we trust? 
what website do we go to? Anybody ever feel that way? What television, what television station should I watch? What news system should I be a part of? Here's the answer. None of them. None of them. Stop worrying about the news of this world and get yourself the good news. <laughs> this is the good news that will set you free from all that stuff. Then the staff, and there's only one thing I want you to write down about the staff of the shepherd, is that the staff is the tool to draw the sheep close to each other and close to the shepherd. And Philip Keller talks about this. The staff was a long pole with a crook on the top. We all know this. It looks like a candy cane, right? And... Um, and what, the, what the shepherd would do was he would just, if he saw sheep were kind of straying away, he'd just hook their back leg and pull them close to another sheep. And this is our propensity. This is our propensity. When we are in a dark valley, we walk away from the church. We start to inch away from our brothers, our sisters. And, I, and we start to keep the church at arm's length. And I don't understand how somebody can call themselves a Christian and not love the church. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John, don't tell me you love God who you can't see if you don't love your brother who you can see. If you love Jesus, you love the church. And I don't know, I don't understand. We, we get these people in our church, they come all the time. I call them once a yearers. They come once a year. They show up and they walk in like, hey, hey, we're back. Like, yeah? And? Like, we've been here every week. Like, let's go. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know, I don't understand Christians who think, you know, I, I like Jesus, but I'm not really into the church because it's too regiment, too control. I don't want anybody controlling me. Listen, somebody's going to control you. Some dummy is going to control you if it's not Jesus. And that dummy is probably going to be you. <laughs> so I would rather have the Lord control me. And yes, the church is sometimes that voice that says, stop doing that walking this way you got to come out of that stuff because when i'm tight with the church i'm mighty in christ Amen. Amen. philip kelly talks about the cougars in the middle east the cougars that jump out of the bushes and they always go after the wandering sheep not the sheep that are close to the shepherd your question about how far you can go and still be accepted by god like young people teenagers well how far can i go with my girlfriend before it's sin. Wrong question. Wrong question. Your question should be, how close can I get to God? How close can I stay to the shepherd? Amen. Because when I wander, I'm going to have to come back. Okay, so Romans 8, 16 says this. The spirit, and I like to say that the Holy Spirit is like the shepherd's staff. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel... Even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not what? Was not at rest. Because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I took leave of them and went out to Macedonia. I love that verse. You know why I love that? Because Paul says, Paul, whose passion was to preach the gospel across the world. He says, I came to Troas, and I, I had a chance. There was a, there was a captive audience waiting for me, but I didn't have my brother Titus there. I was all alone. And listen, Paul said no to an opportunity to preach the gospel because he didn't have his brother in Christ there. Man, that's, that's powerful. Some of you gotta, leave, you gotta live like that. I was gonna go, but man, I, no one was there with me. The Bible says that when two walk together, there's strength. Because if you fall, and you will, that brother can pick you up, get you back on your feet. By the way, the church should always be in the restoration business. Always in the restoration business. I said, I know some of you are feeling guilty about the once a year comment I just made. Okay, and you're a once a year. We just say, come on back next week. Yeah. That's all we're saying. And if you feel a little guilty, well, good. 
come on back next week. This is, there's, there's power in the house of God. There's anointing in the house of God. There's the Holy Ghost in the house of God. Can I get a good amen? amen. All right, number three, we got to move forward. Number three, we can boldly travel because the Lord prepares food for the fight. The Lord is our master chef, somebody. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The word table is significant for sh uh, shepherding in the Middle East because they would find a high ground that looked like a table. In fact, Cheryl and I, Cheryl's from South Africa, and we went back and visited her, and they have one of the most glorious t uh, tables, table mountains, uh, glorious mountains in the world, table mountains, big table overlooking the city of Cape Town. Beautiful. But there's large plains in the Middle East on tables on the top of mountains where the shepherd would lead them so that they could eat good food. And, and Philip Keller talks about the fact that he had to go through the fields before the sheep got there, and he would have to pick out all the poisonous plants because sheep don't know what's poison. Hello. Sometimes the sheep don't know what's poison. You got into that relationship, it was poison. You got into that business alliance, it was poison. You got into that situation, poison. Can I tell you, the Lord is your shepherd, and a lot of times he comes up and he just kind of keeps the poison out. He makes sure that you're going to get fed well. He makes sure that you're going to eat well. And, and how do I eat well? In the word of God, Matthew 4, 4 says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I was reading through Job. I'm, I'm in Job right now. I'm going through Job. Pray for me. That's my, that's my daily devotion time. And I'm like, I'm trying to like take off large chunks of this book at a time because have you ever read Job? Like the first two chapters are really interesting and then it's 28 or 29 chapters of just dudes arguing and his friends are like, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. That's it, like 28 chapters, that's it. But there's this beautiful moment in chapter 23, I was in there last night, and it says this. It says this. It says, um, I, I, I know that he has control of my destiny. Amen. And after I come through this, I'll understand it. Amen. And the Lord gave me a word. And I didn't share this in the recorded message. I want to share this with you. And some of you need this word because I think the Lord gave it to me last night for you. You know you are growing in what you're going through. When you stop asking why, and you start asking what for. Yes. Amen. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. I don't care what anybody says. Amen, preacher. That was good preaching right there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody's like, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did and you'll never grow. Because you're obsessed about why, trying to find. Who cares about the why? Job was never given the why. Do you know that? We know the why because the Bible gives a backstage pass to the heavenly court where the devil says he only loves you because you protect him. And the Lord says, all right, take everything from him. And Job never, the Lord never shows up and says, well, Job, me and Satan, we were having an argument about you. And that's what I, never says it. Never gives him the why. But the moment transitions in his heart when he stops worrying about the why and he starts thinking, what's this for? Some of you need to do that with your life right now. Not why, what for, Lord? Where are you bringing me? What are you doing in me? How are you changing me to make me what you want me to be? Amen, somebody. Number four. Number four, the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit. So they're all P, right? Uh, he's, he's present. He's packing heat. He's preparing food, and he's pouring out the Holy Spirit, and this is going to lead us right into first Wednesday or first Tuesday up in the north. 
Holy Spirit wants to be poured out in your life. You anoint my head with oil. Oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. He says, my cup overflows. I think about what Jesus says in John 7. He says, out of, the, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Too many Christians are a trickle. Too many Christians, they barely got the spout open. It's like, drip, drip, drip. The Lord wants rivers coming out of you. Joy, joy in the Holy Ghost. Well, let me bring it back to the psalmist and the, and the shepherding of the Lord because Keller in his book, he talks about that one of the things that sheep do is uh, if they are not drenched in oil, that the bugs and the flies and the gnats will go up into the nasal cavities of the sheep. They'll lay eggs and then they'll hatch and they'll burrow up into the skin. This is a very gross illustration, I understand, but... <laughs> He says it gets so irritating, here's what he says, that a sheep will literally pound their head into a tree to relieve themselves of the pain. And then they'll get emaciated and they won't eat and they'll get all thin and gauntly. And I thought to myself, man, how many people are there in the, in the, in the church? You, you got that thing, you got involved in it, you, you didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost, you got filled with something else. You just try to fill yourself with drugs, you try to fill yourself with friends, you try to fill yourself with followers and likes. Try, try to fill yourself with approval of parents, approval of people. Try to fill yourself with fortune or personal success. And a lot of those things are not, not evil in themselves. But if they are everything, if they are what you think is gonna bring ease to the pain, you're in trouble. It's gonna get up into you. It's gonna irritate you. Because here's the worst thing. When you get all that you ever wanted, the inevitable question is, now what? Or the worst question is, how do I keep it? Because you know you can't. How many Christians, how many church people are slamming their heads against the walls you're killing yourself and the Lord wants to bring relief wants to give you the coding of the Holy Ghost so that you don't, you don't rely on yourself you rely on him he protects you from that spirit getting inside of you that's why Jesus says in Luke 11 he says if you then though you were evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more say those three words with me one two three how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him Amen. the picture is that the Lord is dying to give you the Holy Ghost Amen. he wants to pour it out in your life John 3 34 he the father gives the spirit Last two words, everybody. Without measure. And I'll tell you, it's one thing to raise your hand at the end of our service. And if you come to Christ, we want you to raise your hand to just let us know, yes, I came to Christ. It's another thing to get baptized. And we're so glad that you got baptized and we celebrate that. And yes, that's a walk in obedience. But can I tell you, there's something more. It's called the fullness of the Holy Ghost. And I am not saying that if you don't have the fullness of the Holy Ghost, you don't have the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about that move of the Holy Ghost that just kind of seals the deal in your spirit that you know that God is in you and moving through you in power that you don't have in yourself. 
That's what the Lord wants to do in you. And who is, who's here today? You're just bugged, man. You're just bugged. You're, the, the flies are driving you nuts. I got, a, I got a prayer for you. It comes right from the book. It's kind of like to close out this message. Here's the prayer, and I love it. I've been saying it to myself all week. He says, oh, Lord, I can't cope with these petty, annoying, peevish problems. Please apply the oil of your Holy Spirit to my mind. Both at the conscious and subconscious levels of my thought life, enable me to act and react just as you would. I've been praying that over my life. I want you to pray it over your life. It's in your notes for a reason. I want you to take thought of this. I want you to let God anoint your mind so that you don't drive yourself crazy. And for some of you today, the hope that I am offering to you is like a stream in the desert because you're struggling to survive. And the Lord wants you to thrive.